Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello everybody and welcome to this, the latest edition of ESSR feature here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Podcasting Network. I'm Stephen Wilson, I'm your host this week and we are going back into our time machines and maybe thinking, did we waste three hours of our life as we look back at another pay-per-view of days gone by and because we are now in rumble season here in 2023, time of recording, we thought, what better way to do this pay-per-view look back than to look back at a past Rumble event. And we are going all the way back to 1997. Yes, you may not think that was that long ago, but it makes you think that we are now closer to 2050 than we were to 1990. (laughs) Scary thought, scary thought. Uh, Before I introduce my panel who'll be going through this pay-per-view with me just the usual bit of housekeeping for us here at the podcast uh please hit that subscribe button at the bottom of your or midway point of your screen depending on what you're using to listen to this uh, uh to listen to all past and future shows from us and also please follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram we're also on tiktok yes we are in to the current trends here at the podcast to get uh, information uh, and news from us all the time. Now, joining me first is one of the very few members of this podcast who was in puberty when this uh, show was airing. It is Gary Kernan. Oh, Stephen, I love a Royal Rumble. Uh, I love looking back at the Rumble matches, maybe not the Rumble shows, and I'm representing Brett the Hitman Hart today. I've got my Hitman, Brett the Hitman Hart Blacksmith uh, shirt, football shirt on here. Brett was screwed. He was screwed in this rumble and I uh, look forward to talking about it. It's nice to see that uh, Brett fans are as bitter as Brett actually is. I look forward and to... And fuck you, Goldberg. Yeah, I was going to say, I was waiting for that one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, and also as a man who when we've done these pay-per-view shows in the past doesn't just like to look at one thing he likes to look at six months worth of of television before that (laughs) he's now a a much busier man so what he did that in this case we'll find out it is chris murray yeah do you know what um i'm so happy to be here i'm so happy we're doing the royal rumble again this is the best time of year if you like american sports You've got Royal Rumble season. The road to WrestleMania is here. And the NFL world, you've got the playoffs. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm happy to be chatting to you two. This is the first time I've been on Skype in a wee while. And get this, I opened up the chat today and I had 89 messages from someone called Date2Chat with lots of explicit images. Uh, Stephen, you really could have told me you were going to do that before we sat down, but yeah, I'll open some of those later. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm very buzzing to get into this. I didn't, do you know what? I don't know if you remember, but we did an episode on Survivor Series 1996 uh, yep. a while back, and that was one of my favourite shows. And what I did for Survivor Series 1996 was I just kind of dove in 
and just watched the show. And at the end, of course, of Survivor Series 1996, the man, Psycho Sid, was crowned oh. WWF champion. So I did the same. I sort of thought, oh, we're quite close to 1996. This is the first major pay-per-view since then. We've only had one uh, in-your-house show since then. I just thought, let's do it. Let's just dive in. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, back in the days when we had very few pay-per-views going on, we're thankfully transitioning into a period where we have slightly less pay-per-views than we maybe did five years ago, where it felt like we had a pay-per-view every two weeks. But it's nice to have a wee bit of a break. I mean, in the current uh, trend, we haven't had a pay-per-view since Survivor Series on the main roster, which is quite nice. So... Yes, yeah, so let's get dived into the Royal Rumble 1997. Now, the reason we've chosen the Royal Rumble 1997 is not to make people feel old, that it was 26 years ago, which still gives me the fear, but it's the fact that it was held at the Alamo Dome, which will yes. be holding the 2023 Royal Rumble, which is good to see. Uh, the Alamo Dome it opened in 1993, so four years prior to this show can hold anywhere between 30,000 and 70,000, did you guys know? With this particular show holding 60,000, the well, third highest attendance of all time at this, at this venue. The 60,000 figure is an interesting one, and as usual with any WWE show, there's a bit of debate over the actual attendance. I've read that of the 60,000 people, it was about 48,000 people paid for their tickets. But what was interesting about this show was like this was a massive arena for WWE to play or WWF to use at the time. This is the tenth Royal Rumble. It's the biggest attendance for a Royal Rumble at this time. Previous to that, I think the biggest attendance would have been 1992 at the Knickerbocker Arena when Ric Flair won. Mm-hmm. But the the promotion that WWE did for this, they had a you, they spoke about this in the Bruce Pritchard podcast. They had a deal with Pizza Hut. So for the months leading up to the Royal Rumble, if you got a pizza from Pizza Hut, you had a Royal Rumble in the San Antonio area. You had a Royal Rumble flyer stuck to it, offering you a deal. And they also had a deal with Taco Bell, where you could buy, get a voucher um, for buying the tap from Taco Bell um, and get a Rumble ticket for between $5 and $7. Imagine going to the Rumble for $5. That's absolutely mad. The other thing I wanted to throw in as well is, of course, like this was very out of place for WWF at the time. They weren't they weren't doing massive arenas like this. And this would essentially be the biggest venue they would do until WrestleMania in uh, 2001, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously the attendance, 60,000 around around there, um, heavily disputed, as we told you. But. One thing that I saw, I was looking for clips of this on Twitter and I found out something quite cool. The Alamo Dome, of course, in San Antonio, big hub for, you know, wrestling and sports for many, many years. But in 2023, it was the 50th anniversary of the San Antonio Spurs in uh, the NBA. So they were playing the Golden State Warriors this year and they decided that for game four on of their series of the Western Conference semifinals, they played it at the Alamo Dome and broke the attendance record with 68,300 fans in attendance. I was thinking there's not many things that could beat 
a wrestling show for attendance because of you know and yeah, at, at a wrestling show you can, you can take out everything except a tiny wee ring and in basketball they can do it even more because you can take out absolutely everything and you don't need a massive entrance ramp so it's yeah. quite cool that this venue it's not like it's not like a lot of the venues that WWF used in the 90s that have just you know fallen apart or there was a one we did for a show before that's now like it's now like basically like a market or something like that so yeah 68,300 people watched uh, a basketball game on the 13th of January mad I think I think Chris, this was the biggest. Sorry, Gary. Sorry, Steve. I think this was the biggest arena uh, that WWF had played since WrestleMania Eight. Mm-hmm. So you could see why there was this massive, you know, it's a big step up, uh, and you can see why there's this massive effort, this marketing PR machine kicking in just to get as many bodies in the arena because if you have twenty thousand people. In a sixty thousand seat, seventy thousand seat stadium, it's going to look empty, isn't it? And it took them twenty years to come back. And when they did come back in two thousand seventeen, they sold six thousand or eight thousand less tickets. So <laughs> it, this, you know, this was just a pure lightning in the bottle moment for the WWF in nineteen ninety seven, wasn't it? To be fair, they had that big massive ramp in two thousand and seventeen. Uh, I know they mm-hmm. had to get back in it turning ramp that they had here but that was kind of a standard thing for a lot of WWF shows at the time the ramp at the 2017 was massive to the point that they had announced Goldberg Undertaker you think how the feck are these guys going to get down was the 2017 <laughs> one not the one that they all had that kind of the, that the tractor they kind of <laughs> yeah, bring yeah. them all out and they just kind of panned away oh geez. did you actually think... know that there was a, a non-WWE show also at this arena at one point no. No. Uh, this Alamo Dome also hosted the 2013 edition of TNA Lockdown. What? Really? I bet there was about 10 people there. <laughs> 7,200 7, people attended the 2013 Lockdown at the Alamo Dome, which was main evented by Jeff Hardy losing his TNA title to Bully Ray. Man, I'm trying to think if I was, was still watching. This was the show that it was revealed that Billy Ray was the um, leader of Aces and Eights. Oh, um, yes, of course. Yes, remember. Mm-hmm. The culmination yeah. of TNA's last great storyline. Yeah, for anybody who is a big fan of that. The uh, long match on that show featured uh, Eric Young, James Storm, Magnus, Samoa Joe and Sting defeating Aces and Eights, which had not very good Aces and Eights team. Uh, so before we go into the matches itself, I like on these shows to do a on this date uh, when this show took place to give people even more fear of their age. Uh, so <laughs> the one thing that I found on this day in 1997 was it was the host was was the day of the 54th edition of the Golden Globes for anybody who's fan of the film and TV awards. The winners of the Best Picture that year were the English Patient and Evita. For anybody who's ever seen those films, Tom Cruise oh, no, won. Tom Cruise won Best Drama Actor for Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> the Golden Globes, which does awards for TV and film, the winners of Best TV Drama and Comedy that year were The X Files and Third Rock from the Sun, beating out oh, shows such as Frasier, Friends, and ER. Uh, Top of the U.S. cinema box office 
was the classic film Beverly Hills Ninja. <laughs> I had never heard of this film before doing this research for this show. Uh, it's about an orphan boy who's found by a clan of ninjas as an infant in an abandoned treasure chest. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And topping the UK album chart for the seventh week was the debut album of the Spice Girls. Oh, my God. Less said about that, the better. Uh, that sounds like a good year for, well, Evita and the other one are undoubtedly terrible. But uh, Jerry Maguire, what a film. Oh, yeah, it was robbed. Absolutely robbed. Amazing that 26 years on and Tom Cruise is still producing absolute baggers of films. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Top Gun being the, the biggest selling film in the UK last year, I think. <laughs> yeah, what a film. But on to the actual wrestling itself, and I think we just need to get through this undercard because the Rumble is traditionally known as the pay-per-view where we all go, just give us the Rumble. But they need to have something to kind of pad it out. And this particular show, I have got in my notes... This undercard is the ultimate get-to-the-fucking-rumble card. You know, the, the thing is, like, when you watch this back, and the, the little music intro at the start is all about Sean, nobody else. You then get the hot opening, the fireworks, everybody's excited, and then you get the most dull and boring intro from the commentators, introducing, and then introducing us to the Spanish announcers and the French announcers, and it's just, like, feels flat. So it feels like, you you know, it starts and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. And then it's like, it brings you right back down. And um, I've, I've always agreed with you. I, my, my childhood memories of Royal Rumbles uh, include having to sit through the big boss, what felt like the big boss man wrestling the Barbarian every year. <laughs> but when you look at this undercard, like and on paper, I think the matches look like they should be decent. But that's not what happens, is it, Stephen? <laughs> No, absolutely not. As you mentioned, there's some matches on here that you look back 23, 26 years ago, you're like, that could be decent. That should have been alright. Why was it not? Uh, and the first of which is for the Intercontinental title, which always seemed to have a place on our Rumble card as kind of like an opener type match. This year we had Triple H, or as he was known at that particular point, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, defending his, his title against Gold dust. Uh, yeah, this was um, yeah, this was a match. Uh, Chris, <laughs> um, I think uh, one of the things that I noted from this match uh, within well, five minutes of it was not a lot. Um, the first appearance is Triple H's muscle, and one of the very few appearances of Mister Hughes. Yeah, with no bloody explanation of who he is and why he's there. Yeah, they they literally dropped in his name and uh, were just like, oh, they did that classic thing of like, I think that's Mr. Hughes. And uh, JR, I think at one point, gave him his full name, called him Mr. Hughes. Uh, sorry, Curtis Hughes. And uh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to like place where we'd seen him at this point. I remember that, well, I don't remember, but I've watched it back since that he was in the 1993 King of the Ring. And uh, he got himself disqualified um, by, I think he clocked Mr. Perfect with Undertaker's urn, which he stole. It was supposed to build to a feud and 
it never did. And I also remember that Gary, did he not come out with Chris Jericho for a wee bit in 1999? Um, I remember it was it was his muscle for a wee bit when they were still trying to figure out what they were doing with Jericho. But yeah, you know he's got a good look, but um, he's like just so out of place here. Do you know what? I couldn't think about this match because I was just so taken by the arena. Like it, it looked absolutely amazing. Um, Vince calls it magnificent. They have the pyro, as you mentioned, for the start of the show and the wrestlers' entrances. I was just like, this venue is fantastic. I'm so happy that they've been back to it uh, in 2017 and again this year because it's a it's a great arena for wrestling. It reminded me of like when you see those shots of WrestleMania three and the you know the early part of the pay per view, but it's still light and stuff. And the yeah. crowd just goes so far back behind, like, the, you know, the shots of, like, Harley Race on the turnbuckle and stuff like that. I just think this looks like such a good arena for wrestling. But, yeah, the the build the build for this match was uh, terrible. It was all about Goldust's relationship with Marlena, who was, uh, of course, later was, what's her name? Uh, Teddy, Teddy Runnels, yeah. Teddy. Um, here's the only interesting fact I could pull about this match. So, Mr. Hughes debuted in WCW as Big Cat Hughes. And when he was in WCW, he was in the York Foundation, which was led by Alexandra York, a.k.a. Marlena. So, they were in a tag team merely years before this, and now they're on opposite sides. Um, But in terms of the wrestling, I wrote down, Goldust hits a figure four leg lock. And that was about it. I got a few, slightly few more notes than that. I, pay, I can see why they'd have thought this was a good match to start with, but it was so slow-paced. I mean, there was a hot start when Goldust jumps Triple H to the outside, but the match goes on 16 and a half minutes. Uh, Goldust had just, I think what's interesting about this match is like Goldust had not long-termed face here. And what we're starting to see here is the the evolution of Triple H. So he's starting to move ever so slightly away from Hunter Hearst Hemsley and start to morph into what would become Triple H. He's got the different look. He's got the the different music. So the presentation's starting to change a little bit. But there's so much of this match. Just like you think about Triple H and Goldust, like you would associate them as wrestlers with good in-ring psychology. And I think in this match, they demonstrated none of it. Like, Goldust was the challenger going for the title, and within minutes of the match starting, he's hitting Triple H with stairs, but there's no there's no DQ for anything, and there's just some some bits of it. JR says in commentary at one point, it may as well have been a no-holes-barred match because of the way the referee was it. You can tell that a match is starting to drag when they cut away during the match to interview Colin Ray. Who is Colin Ray? Do you not know who Colin Ray is, Stephen? You're so so ignorant. He is apparently a very famous country and western music star. I have no idea who this guy was. They cut away to him and it's like, uh, I don't give a fuck who this guy is. I just want to see the ratch. (laughs) <laughs> and sadly, that's not the only time they'll cut away during no, this no. show, isn't it? It's um, not the, one, no. the other one's much worse than this. <laughs> no, it was just, a, I felt it was a really slow match. I felt that the crowd 
lost interest in the match, which didn't help with it. Uh, and a bit of a bit of a smalls of a finish as well. I just thought it was a really sadly disappointing match. Mr. Meltzer gave it two stars. It's one of his higher ratings of the show, which is what he yes. what he did for the full for the actual show. I didn't really, I struggled to note anything of note from this match. Uh, there was a BWO top in the front row. I thought that was quite cool. Ah, uh, good spot. Um, the ref there was a reference to Shotgun Saturday Night, which felt nostalgic. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also thought more. I, I, it was bad that I actually wrote. I think more people should have tried to use Marlena's chair as a weapon. Yeah. Didn't see that. Didn't <laughs> see that even though she was always there and she always had that bloody Hollywood chair. But yeah, it's not. I think if you're going to do the undercard of the Rumble, especially the kind of first match, should be kind of a one that's going to excite you a wee bit because, yeah. as we've mentioned, people are there for the for the actual Rumble match, or they should be there for the Rumble match. So you need to have something that's going to get them going. We've had it in the past. We had it last year, even though the Rumble was rubbish with Seth and Roman. It was pretty decent. Uh, the one I remember was 2014 with uh, Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt was a pretty good Rumble opener. But that's just for, for a match is apparently meant to be a bit of a blood feud, you know. With like, I mean, Triple H tried to steal Marlena on an on a on the build up to this. She tried to he literally carried her away from the ring and tried to take her away, and you didn't really feel anything with this one. And it's like, uh, yeah, and the the finish is rough. It's very clunky. The bit where Marlena tries to get involved and Triple H smacks the lips on her. And you feel like maybe this is going to lead to the finish, and then we still go for another two minutes. It's yes. Yeah, I mean, at one point they say I think they mentioned that gold that gold dust's gold dust is very flamboyant to hide these kind of flaws in the ring. But mm-hmm. 26 years on, we've seen him have one of the best singles matches of all time against his brother. So yeah, it's just yeah, it's a bad yeah, use of the. Two the- yeah, the way that they paint this whole match uh, is just so far removed from wrestling in 2023. Mm-hmm. Just like the Triple H's kiss spot with Marlena. Uh, it opens, I'm going to say this just to point out how awful it is, but it opens with Goldust being interviewed by JR asking <coughs> him if he's queer and bleeping it because they're trying to be controversial by using the word queer and and then Triple H kidla- kidnapping Marlena, which is kind of sexual assault, and it's just all so terrible that you've got two guys that we know for the next 20 years are fantastic wrestlers, and this is what they are, you know, just like dropped to. But a bit of a interesting, light-hearted point, though. What was the point in Mr. Hughes? Stephen, you said at the start, that Goldust starts by attacking Triple H on the outside. And Mr. Hughes, Triple H, I would assume, has him as his bodyguard. And he just stands there. Even, I think at one point, Jerry says to Mr. Hughes, when he's attacking him with the steel steps, he just says, well, don't just stand there. That's just, like, yeah. fantastic. Bodyguard, not paid enough to actually do anything. Maybe that's why they replaced him with China, like a month later. He's fought. <laughs> doesn't do anything. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean... Let's um, it was actually um Jerry Lawler who mentions that line, Chris. Let's uh, not give JR some bad credit for that. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, sorry. Just in case he, just in case he is listening, you know, JR. Yeah. 
JR loves the yeah. Scottish podcast, let's be brutally honest. Uh, to be fair, you you know which one of those two is more likely to say a line like that. Yeah. Well, they, they're both not well known for being with the times, let's be brutally honest. Yeah. Shall we say with this match, even the the moment towards the end where you get a Goldust stubbing out Marlene a cigar on Curtis Shoes, it felt like a wee bit unnoticed. You've then got the little bit of carry on with uh, the Goldust hitting Triple H with the title belt. Mr Hughes does, to his credit, get uh, Triple H's leg on the, the rope. So that comes first, isn't it? And then he stubs the cigar out and then we get Triple H being able to sneak back in the ring, hit Goldust with a pretty brutal looking clothesline and then pedigree on to finish the match and put us out of our misery. Yeah, he sells the clothesline very well actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, not the most memorable opener to this show. And it gets better. Or maybe not. Well, it gets slightly better for Gary for a brief minute as we get some backstage interviews with some of the Rumble competitors. I have the feeling that they do these interviews mostly to push the people they want to say as the favourites for the Rumble. And we hear from Brett the Hitman Hart, who, for some reason, that they were shooting his interview initially into a mirror, even though he was right there. <laughs> And the maniacal man Kate. So very short interviews, but trying to push that these guys are going to win the rumble. Are wanting to are favourites to win the rumble. Let's be brutally honest. Uh, yeah, nice and short. These promos were at least just transition time. As what some I, of the matches should have been. Uh, <laughs> what I liked, right? And I don't know if this is getting a bit too highbrow, right? But the, the line that I noted from Brett's promo is that he says, I've always been a marked man. But he says it as he's looking at himself in a mirror, proving that Bret Hart's biggest opponent was Bret Hart. Ooh. Well, he did screw himself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mankind's line as well. Mankind is uh, just saying the Royal, the Royal Rumble is a chance to hurt a lot of people I don't like. And some I do. I was like, that's very good. That's very Mankind. Oh, it was great. It was in his peak of the Mankind. Maniacal phase at this point. You know? mm-hmm. People will say maybe his peak was obviously when he was the fun-loving type of Mankind. But at this point, he was absolutely great. Psychology was brilliant. Um, we then get a match. Yeah, a, a, a match. Uh, it's Ahmed Johnson. Ah, Ahmed Johnson. He is taking on the leader of the Nation of Domination, Ron Simmons, better known as Farouk in the WWF. Uh, Gary, um, pre-rock Nation of Domination, it really wasn't good. <laughs> well, to be fair, that's that's right, but they had a banging entrance song. Oh, okay. And I loved their entrance and the little sort of nod to the young D'Lo Brown that was amongst them. But, you know... Uh, he talked about Chris likes to look back about six months of show so it's beforehand so here's a bit, of, a bit of history so Ahmed Johnson burst onto the scene and uh, and in 1996 it looked like he was going to be one of the next big stars I mean you see him he's, he's a brute of a man as well uh, and Farouk Assad debuts in July of 1996 now if you don't know what Farouk Assad looks like go and google it 
He's wearing this sort of wrestling singlet they, with blue, black with blue strings. They, they briefly show it in the um, yeah. pre-match package for it. You can briefly see him as that gimmick. In the helmet, the helmet. Yeah. But this feud starts in July 1996, and this is actually their first match because it was totally staked that one or the other of them would get injured for the ball. So actually, um, the match that was coming together here, um, I felt like when the match started that the crowd actually woke up for a brief period of time following this this um, hot start to the start to the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, um, looking back, I think Ahmed Johnson was kind of similar to kind of how Ryback was in his first year. Uh, yeah. Both guys, the crowd seemed, they were pretty over with the crowd, but uh, big brutes of men, but very limited yeah. in what they could do. Uh, not very good on the mic and had a good finisher. Yeah, I, I really loved Ahmed Johnson. Uh, he was my guy. And um, it was like whatever the game was at the time, like Attitude or something like that. One of those WWF games for the PS1. Uh, I just thought he was amazing. Was uh, it Warzone? Was it not? That one? Yeah, Warzone. Yeah, maybe yeah. that one. Um, but he was, as Gary said, he was just pushed to the moon in 1996. He won the Kuwait Cup, as they mentioned in the show. He won I his. Think he's still uh, the reigning, I think he's still the reigning champion as well. <laughs> ready to defend at a moment's notice. Um, he won Bruno, the Bruno San Martino's records easily. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he won the IC title, the King of the Ring, yeah. and his. Uh, I like this. He, he won the IC title in his first intercontinental title match. I feel like that was a a, a good little point. Um, he had such a good look. I just wish he had been healthy enough around this time to to become champion. I, I don't know, you know, if if we headed in in 97, uh, 98, 99, I don't know if there ever would have been room for Ahmed Johnson to be the top guy, but he definitely looked good. I think, was it diabetes that he eventually develops, which really hindered his career? And um, I, I just thought, like, from the start in this match, I was actually quite into it. I loved that there was no, you know, they didn't just come in and do a lockup because obviously Farouk had injured Ahmed Johnson's kidney and put him out for months and months and months. So uh, Johnson just came in and just started battering him. And then he was attacking him with a belt and stuff like that. JR got in the line about whipping him like a government mule. It was like, uh, this is this is how this, this match should have started. Well done. Yeah, I felt like the crowd were into it, which was good. Uh, it had some, as you mentioned, Ahmed Johnson had a hot 1996. So, I mean, when the kidney injured, Injury was happening. He was scheduled to be a contender for the WWF type. So, uh, yeah, that kind of injury, and then the subsequent what happened after that just completely derailed it. I think it was something his um, his sister had cancer. I think that was kind of what happened when he was leaving, and they just kind of things just didn't work. Him and the management just fell out. I think he does briefly join Harlem Heat 2000 in WCW. as Big T. Well, a yeah. famous and he has, yeah, he has that legendary feud with Booker T, doesn't he, over the letter T? Ah, yeah. It's um, very memorable. Classic WCW in the late 1990s, 2000s. Yeah, but um, try, I mean, I, Gary, you mentioned D'Lo in this one. Uh, you wouldn't think at this point that D'Lo was going to be 
the one no. to hang about. Because he's kind of just there. Uh, with his, you know, yeah. early 20s haircut that he's got. Fast forward in you know, the years, the, the period that follows when Farouk fires Crush and fires Savio Vega and everybody else from the nation, and he's left in the ring with D'Lo Brown and Clarence Mason. He then says, you know, he's, everybody thinks he's about to fire D'Lo. And he says to Dilo to hold the ropes open for Clarence Mason. And I think that's the last we ever seen of Clarence Mason, the crooked lawyer at that time. Um, but this was a much, much better presentation of Farouk. And obviously not the greatest start to the nation of domination, but it does evolve into into more of a thing, doesn't it? Follow. You know, this match went on for just shy of nine minutes. Um, I thought it was like a decent big man match you know it was never going to win any technical awards but you know some wicked looking moves you have spine busters doing it Farouk on the top rope which Ahmed then catches on and slams on that was a pretty impressive power move for two big men but the finish sadly was pretty was pretty crap but I understand it's setting up what's supposed to be the return match which presumably at this point they're thinking about for Wrestlemania but I tell you boys see towards the end of this match I could fast forward because I wrote in my notes fuck that um, Ahmed struggles to gorilla place one of the rappers gorilla place slam one of the rappers out of the ring but the bit that I wrote fuck that against is when he peril liver plunges one of the security guards through the table there is not enough money in the world to make me agree to take that move or through a table Oh, he barely, I mean, he's a strong guy, Ahmed, but he barely gets the, the turn oh. on. The, the, and it, the, I, I love how the commentators, when he's beating him up, they don't really have like, any clue about this guy. And yet when they're replaying it, he went, that man's £300! It's like, <laughs> five minutes ago, he didn't know who he was. And now he's £300. I mean, come on, have some consistency in that one. But yeah, Chris, the finish is kind of kind of flat but as Gary says it's meant to kind of build up and we have it does lead to one of the more entertaining matches on the Wrestlemania 13 card with uh, Ahmed teaming up with the Legion of Doom in the Chicago Street Fight which as an undercard match is pretty decent I mean that's kind of the highlight of this it's, yeah. it's the highlight of Ahmed's 97 yeah um yeah it was yeah it was a bit of a sad ending to this match just a bit of a mass running that resulted in the DQ but yeah um do you know what? The only thing that let this down was Ahmed's terrible, like, chant he had for the match. Oh, no, it's bad. It's bad. It was, like, <laughs> it was a very, very bad promo, man, Ahmed. It, it, I think, he, as you mentioned, with the attitude era, you had to have a bit of charisma. And I think he mm-hmm. would have been more than that. Yeah. Um, it's such a, I, I hate when you've got wrestlers that you really like and then they disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> It kind of adds to the Ryback comparisons because Ryback mm-hmm. had to be more, which was, let's be honest, it was quite basic. And uh, Chris, you mentioned in one of our, I think it was you who mentioned in one of our chats the fact that Ryback's not been back in so many years. Maybe this is a, the call for him to come back. He's got to listen to this and get on the phone to Triple H. Yeah. It's or even better, get 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 Ahmed Johnson back for the 2023 Royal Rumble. He's, uh, uh, I think he's he's definitely still alive. He's only he's only 59 he works currently for booker t and stevie ray's pro wrestling uh, alliance wrestling school so he can still go 
I mean, I don't think he's... I think I've seen pictures of him. I don't think... They say The Rock's not in ring shape for WrestleMania this year. I don't think Ahmed Johnson's going to be in ring shape for the Rumble. <laughs> in, all, in all respect to him. In all respect to him. But, yeah. Uh, one and a half stars from Uncle Dave on this one. Uh, even though we probably would say it's a bit more difficult than the match before it. We get some more backstage interviews. And again, they're targeting guys you think are going to win the Rumble. Terry Funk is interviewed. Uh, I mean, 1997. Terry Funk winning a Rumble. I mean, stranger things would have happened. And they also cut back to the nation who are backstage. Farouk is not happy with what's went down in the ring. He pulls out two members of the group who he's not happy with. One of the, the muscle men and the valet of the group whose name escapes me. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't. She's not listed on anything. I can't actually think who he is, but yeah, they're yeah. not. They're not happy. Farouk's more concerned with Ahmed than he is with the Rumble. Uh, we'll find that out a bit more as we talk about the Rumble later on. Uh, we get a match which, based on what Gary said earlier in the show, uh, should have been good on paper, but it, again, it falls flat. Uh, Vader versus the Undertaker. I mean. 1990s. These two should have tore it up. They should have let them go at it. But Chris, I think we get more mentions of Jim Cornette than we do actually good wrestling. Yeah. Um. I I did like bits of this match. Right. Um. I liked uh, obvious statement of the of the podcast. I loved Undertaker's entrance. It's literally yeah. always amazing. I loved how they were talking loads over. Vader's entrance. Vader's entrance is slightly cut for Farouk's promo, which I was sad about. But as soon as Undertaker comes out, the commentators go immediately silent. It just shows the level of respect there. Uh, and also, did you notice, I've never noticed this before or since, did you notice that Undertaker's entrance had like wind in it that I'd never heard before? It was like the usual entrance with the gongs and stuff, but then it was like it's <laughs> like I've, I've never noticed that aspect of the entrance before but um yeah i really liked the the moments with the kind of lighting rig descending on undertaker and then as he's in the ring the the arena lights go back up and you just see the scale of the arena behind him i thought that was uh that was that was really really brilliant um i liked as well that and this is how this is how you are a good heel in chris murray's book of wrestling Mark Henry did it well. Um, who else did it well? Not many other wrestlers, but when you're the heel and you go straight at the face and start battering them, and that's what Vader did. He went he went to Undertaker in this match. It was good to see, you know, two absolute legends going at each other, and I liked the, the there was no real early advantage in the match. Like Vader was trying to knock Taker down, he kept doing his setups. Taker hits like a a running leg drop, which looked absolutely amazing. He also oh, that, hit, that was cool. That was very cool. Yeah, it was just it was just brilliant. He hit like a scoop slam on Vader and made it look so so easy. Um, <laughs> uh, the the there's always a funny line of commentary for every match, and my funny line of commentary from this match was Jr. said, "I've never seen someone deliver a leg drop like that." I didn't even know which wrestler it was. It could have been either of them. Uh, and King says, "Want to see mine?" Lay down, Ross. <laughs> Which is really good. But yeah, I, you know, there's bits of this match that were okay. 
the match went on for thir- over 13 minutes, which surprised me. I thought, like the guy that you were just touching on there, a really good fast start, but then sort of quickly slowed down and Taker takes control and Vader comes back. Uh, and we stopped during the match for another Todd Pettengale interview, this time with a young girl that saved up money by babysitting kids. Oh, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known that, that, that's, that she was so determined to be there because she sounds so unenthusiastic about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Could you imagine in the years to come when I'm cutting away from a Taker match to interview a random fan? It's just mental. Uh, just totally mental. Um there was another moment in this match that Vader power bombs Undertaker, but only just gets him up. Yeah. As well, and um, we see um, as we reach the sort of end of this match, um, we see Paul Bearer make a, an appearance. And what I loved about Paul Bearer when he comes out is the way the Undertaker is like dealing with Vader in the ring, and he has his back to Paul Bearer, and Paul Bearer sort of looks around. Undertaker flips backwards over the top rope, lands right beside Paul Bearer, who turns around, he gets the fright of his life, Undertaker hooks him, and he goes down, and when he throws Paul Bearer into the ring, Paul Bearer, as he tries to get away, sort of scurries around in his hands and his knees (laughs) in sheer panic. Um, And and again, as we're sort of reaching the end of the match, um, the... Paul Bearer uh, jumps off the ring apron to hits the Undertaker with the arm, and he's like he's he's as graceful doing that move as a cow is falling out of a tornado. <laughs> I've got, it's I, just oh. I've got in my notes Paul Bearer moving like a gazelle for that arm <laughs> shot. He look he, he hits him and then decks it and he looks absolutely sparkled on the floor. <laughs> it's like. I mean, the man is not. Let's be honest. The man's best interfering spots was when the ministry, and he would always yeah. hit people with the shoe. Yeah. I mean, that, he, he, that's what he should be doing. He should be flying off the blooming hardest part of the ring. I yeah. Mean, there is a funny moment in commentary as they start to fight over beside the French announce table. The Spanish announcers must have been delighted this thing because it's the French announce table that gets all the action, <laughs> and the king shouts out. Not the poor French guys again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that table got rebuilt very quickly. I mean, you see in the current day and age, when a table spot happens, the flat is flat. But this this table which got uh, that mad security guy thrown through a match earlier. They're uh, but they're using the... That means they managed to get the table back up in between the time of the match finishing and the Terry Funk interview finishing. Um, but back then, Stephen, it was just like a proper ECW table. It wasn't this fancy announce table, remember, that they have these days. They've got, to get all the, they've got to get all the kit on it as well. So they've got to, <laughs> they've got to be quick with it, which is pretty, it's pretty good, to be fair. It's, pretty, it's quite good work from the ring crew. May I, if I can, interject with a classic Chris Murray sideball. Now, we mentioned that during this match, Todd Pettengill interviews a young girl who has been saving up all her money to get to the Royal Rumble. Now, if you will, humour me here. The Royal Rumble in 1997 takes place in January. She says that she's been saving up all her babysitting money since the summer. Now, even if we're very general here, and we say that there's four months, say, between the summer and January, 
Now, the maximum ticket price for Royal Rumble 1997, going by, you know, sources on the internet, was $18, right? There was tickets for $14, <laughs> tickets at $10. Some as low as five to seven dollars. So she's buying. Let's let's say that she was, you know, well, she, you know, she wasn't ringside, but let's say that she paid the highest amount, which was eighteen dollars for a ticket. Now she's been saving since August. Now that means that whoever was paying her for babysitting was paying her ninety cents a week. Now, I don't know who's... It was probably Gary, let's be brutally honest. <laughs> I don't know whose parents were involved in this, but this is child slave labour. This should be illegal. 90 cents a week to save up those $18 in four months. No wonder the girl was so sad. She's been absolutely worked to the bone for no money. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's bad. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, as Gary briefly said, she clearly didn't get work, go to Taco Bell and get one of the flyers. <laughs> that would have saved a, a bunch of hassle. Uh, but yeah. Did, uh, did did you guys hear what? Because obviously at the end of the match, Undertaker is really mad. He starts wrecking the ringside area. He starts shouting at Vince McMahon, but it's not quite on mic. Could anyone tell what he said? I wrote down that as he's walking out, the commentators are talking over him, and. Uh, I just caught that he's like heading for the World Wrestling Federation. That's all I got was heading yeah, for the World uh, Wrestling Federation. This is um, this is the kind of point in time where they start acknowledging on screen that Vince runs the place, even though he's on mm-hmm. So Bret Hart shouts him a lot in this kind of period. Of- Maybe they felt like Vince was such a terrible commentator they needed to give a justification as to why he's there. Yeah, and the fact that he owns the company seems like well. If I own the company and I want to commentate, I'm going to commentate. Oh, Vince doing what he wants? I've never seen that. <laughs> Some things will never change. Oh, God, <laughs> I know. Uh, I have... Um, this match kind of sum, This match to me kind of sums up Vader's run in the WWF. Uh, it promised so much and falls short. Um, in hindsight, him with Paul Bearer makes zero sense. Uh, I don't get why he would do it. I mean, I can understand him being with Jim Cornette, but with, with, with Paul Bearer, at that point, he was, I mean, he would be mankind, Undertaker, he would go to be with Kane. Kind of, those type of characters fit in with him. But the Vader one, not so much. Uh, and also, can we talk about the ref sell from the chokeslam? Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my God. I mean, he's clearly not, it, it's jump, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, what it was I liked like he about it, lifted up a sack of toys, wasn't it? Oh, that bad. What I liked about it is uh, the ref gets pulled up for the choke slam, and as he's coming back down, he manages to land on like his heels. So it's like it's almost like he just picks him up and puts him back down like a doll. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, you, I've seen some referees. Some referees sell better than others. I mean, Charles Robinson sells a bump like no like no one. What a man! Uh, but this guy who's he was about for all this time. I can't know remember his name. Not a Chad. Oh, Charles Dunn. Jack Doan. Jack, Jack Doan. Sorry, yeah. Jack Doan. Yes, that's Jack Doan. Yeah. I mean, the attitude of the referees. We all knew who they were. I mean, they had a strike at one point. It's all I did. Oh, I love that strike. 
and then we oh. had scab referees. That was, was in great. The, that was prominent in the '99 Unforgiven pay-per-view. I remember it was yeah. literally. I think it was. Uh, oh, what were their names? Who was it again? Oh, I need to look this up. Uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Pritchard, Tom Pritchard. Oh, was one of the scab refs. He used to referee with the blue blue joggies on. Yeah, he was he was a trainer quite probably yeah. at one point. And, and I remember they had the picket line during one of the matches as well. It was just that was like classic WWF storytelling. Yeah, the ref, the scab refs were um, Tom Pritchard, the Brooklyn Brawler, and Harvey Whippleman. Yeah. Well, the scab refs at that point. Jim yeah. Jim Corderas uh, uh, was the only non-striking referee. I mean, mm-hmm. even the guy clearly had uh, a, yeah, it would affect his bonus if he didn't strike clearly. Stephen, do you know we're now into, heading to this period, and they did this with the '96 Rumble, which really annoyed me, where the Royal Rumble match was not the main event. Oh, it's, it's Cardinal said Cardinal said. Oh, oh, sorry, did we mention that Vader won the match? No, no, <laughs> no we, we probably should mention Vader won, by the way. With After a Vader Paul bomb, Bear, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. After Paul Bearer hits the Undertaker with the arm, um, they throw him back into the ring, don't they? And he hits the Vader bomb, and that's that's that. But you'd think after this match was done that it'd be time to move on to maybe <laughs> the championship match or the Royal Rumble match. And as I mentioned in 1996, they did the Rumble and then had the title match after, which... In some ways, I kind of liked, in other ways, I didn't like because if you know, if depending if you had a heel or a face champion, might give you a hint of who's going to win the rumble. But no, in this case, they decide to do neither of those things, and we get another match, another match that I don't think anybody wanted. Yes, uh, to give some context, the next match is a six-man match featuring talent from the AAA promotion. Now, it was clear at this point, and we'll talk about it briefly later on as well. WWE had a good relationship with AAA, which they may have now as well, which is quite poetic. Uh, uh, it was the, This was the fourth match on the card to feature exclusive AAA talent. We had three matches on the pre-show. Uh, I don't know if any of those are available, which also included a defeat for many Mankind and many Vader on the front of those particular matches. Uh, um, yeah, this is a match, uh, Chris, that happened. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you if you told me now, the Royal Rumble is going to feature some talent from the AAA promotion, I'd be like, yeah, cool. That be that could be brilliant. But at this point, nobody in the arena gave a feck about these six guys and clearly these six guys did very do very little to make to put on a good showcase for lucha libre wrestling as this is not very good at all yeah they absolutely stink up the show um <laughs> should, should we name them i'll, I'll name them name right. and shame them so we had fuerza fuerza guerrera heavy metal and jerry estrada Taking heavy, on, me, heavy, heavy metal's not bad in the match. Yeah. He's actually all right. He's actually all right. Hector Garza, Pedro Aguayo, and El Canek. Now, I've got some fun facts about some of these guys. I have facts. I know, I know facts about one guy. That's about so, it. So the, straight away, the first one I knew was Hector Garza 
because Hector Garza had a really good run in TNA in the early noughties. He was always part of the TNA X Cup fighting for Mexico. So I like vividly remembered seeing him. He had dyed blonde hair uh, in TNA. Um, yeah, obviously, he's very young here. He is well known. He has two. He has a nephew and a son who are currently wrestling in the WWE as well. Yeah, that's right. He's the he's the uncle of um, what's his name? Angel Angel Garza. Angel Garza, Garza. yeah. And he's, yeah. He's, the da- he's the dad of Humberto Carrillo as well. That's it. Um, I liked that. Yeah, Hector Garza and Heavy Metal were both in TNA briefly. Uh, Fuerza Guerrera had to check straight away as Juventud's dad. He looks so much like him. Um, Ooh, and uh, that, makes, that makes sense actually that makes a lot of sense Hooventude of course would turn up in WCW and WWF for a bit um, get this Fuerza Guerrera and uh, Jerry Estrada also teamed up for a match together at CMLL's 40th anniversary show in 2018 this geezer was still going um, however if you thought that was good this is my fact of the day ladies and gentlemen let's talk about El Kanek. Now, I couldn't tell you in the match which one El Kanek was. I can't was, <laughs> I think he was one of the two of the mask. But there was one bit on commentary where I stopped the show. I was so astounded. El Kanek holds a victory over Lou Thez. Yes, wrestling legend Lou Thez. Couldn't believe it, so I had to go on cage match and source this information. Right, El Kanek wrestled Luthez in 1978. But, as you know, wrestling started with Luthez. He debuted in 1932. And El Kanek wrestled his most recent match in April of 2022. So between El Kanek and Luthez, there is 90 years of wrestling. I just thought that was absolutely mental. Luthez started in 1932, wrestled Elkinek in 1978, and Elkinek was still going in 2022, possibly into 2023 as well. 90 years. It's just that absolutely blew my mind. That is like just one of those moments. Could you imagine if Luthez was wrestling now? He'd either get the you've wrestled for too long, go away treatment, or he would get the sting treatment. One of the mm. two. Imagine him just flying off of balconies and random six-man matches on pay-per-views. Oh, it'd be something. Or he would do the Jericho and he would attach himself to up-and-coming wrestler X. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, do you know what? Once I'd finished writing about Luthez in 1932, I realised I didn't write a single thing about the match. Yeah, the, the, the match, it's not a good exhibition for the style of wrestling. Uh, heavy metal kind of looks like he wants to impress, but uh, Hector Hector Garza tries to do some stuff while wrestling with um, heavy metal, and near enough looks like he botches every flip, which is a shame because Hector Garza is a decent, is a very good, well-known wrestler. But yeah, I don't think they need this match. They shouldn't really play no. it back. It just kind of gets in the way. Uh, I mean, we know how Meltzer loves wrestling that happens outside of America. Gives it a one star. <laughs> speaks volumes and it's literally the rumble is next so yeah you can tell half the crowd are going for the piss uh, yeah it's not 
not a match that will live long in the memory, and I think it's understandable why WWE currently doesn't have a relationship with that Triple H because it doesn't work out very well. So yeah, we now go on to the match that we all want to see. It's time for the Royal Rumble, and Gary, I think wrestling we talk a lot about in the Rumble, the number thirty, or even just the number one. But I think with wrestling in the Rumbles, the one-two partnership is key to any good Rumble that we see. A great example of one I watched recently was in two was it 2013, where it's Dolph Ziggler and Chris Jericho. It works out so well. If you look at ones and twos in Rumble history, I don't know how well we'll look back on Crush and a man we talked about earlier on, Ahmed Johnson. Yeah, well, I think we'll look at number one and two as fondly as look at number three and four uh, in this particular match. But yeah, I mean, the good thing about Crush coming out first is we get to hear the Nation of Domination music in its full full thing again. I didn't know you were such and a Nation theme, Mark, Gary. It's we are the Nation of Domination. Um, and then we get, uh, and from a storyline point of view, you get that reaction when Crush is stood in the ring and he hears Ahmed music. And you get that reaction from him, but I agree, it's not a, when you look at who you could have had, I'm not sure that's the combination I would have picked to start the match with. Um, but uh, Ahmed, uh, you know, you know, comes out a bit like a bull in a china shop. Uh, and can I mention number three, Stephen, and then I'll, I'll pass the baton back to you, because number oh, three is fake, fake razor, and you know, one of the stats that's the facts that still amazes me is that fake Razor has been in more Royal Rumble matches than real Razor Ramon. It's uh, a crime. It's I always shame. think it's a, a, tra- a travesty that the real Razor Ramon Scott Hall was never ever in a Royal Rumble match. Nah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's criminal. It's criminal. I mean, I mean, fake Razor wasn't in the Royal Rumble match for very long. He was in oh. for seconds before Ahmed Johnson eliminated him, but oh, at least he was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, this is a, a rumble trope we see quite a lot. It annoys the hell out of me seeing it. Why do wrestlers leave the ring over the top rope when they're trying to confront something outside? The first example I remember of it, it confused the life of the commentators, was the 93 rumble when Ra- Randy Savage does it to Yokozuna. And yeah. they don't, and they don't. He, he comes back in, so they just don't really acknowledge it. But yeah, I mean, if I see somebody that I want to batter in the ramp, and I'm in this match, go under any of the ropes, just do anything. But Ahmed Johnson here, uh launches himself over the ropes to go for Farouk, and yeah, literally ruins his chance and leaves us with crushing Phineas Godwin in the ring. The only thing I can think that they, the only reason I can think that they did this was to keep Ahmed Johnson looking good, like to to be like, oh well, nobody could eliminate him. He eliminated himself, but yeah, this is this is infuriating when this happens. And Stephen, thank God it doesn't happen in the match again. Yes. Seven spots later. Yeah. If only somebody that particular person was watching the match and <laughs> they had realised. <laughs> One of the four AAA wrestlers and the most well-known AAA wrestler that was in the match. <laughs> yeah. So things do start. So we get Crush, Ahmed, Fake Diesel, Fidious Godwin, as we mentioned, and then business starts to pick up. 
when Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out at number five. Oh, Austin is the most, the, near enough, every highlight of this match revolves around Austin. I mean, no, his waiting antics were, were priceless. Oh, I loved it. The things loved he it. did. He's down doing, down doing press-ups and, and everything. And we get kind of go through this sort of period as a, a Stone Cold domination. So Crush eliminates Phidias. Phidias then gets eliminated by Stone Cold. And that looks wicked. and actually quite sore the way he goes into those ropes as oh, well. Not as bad as Bart Gunn. <laughs> yeah, Bart Gunn, yeah. And that's where we get Stone Cold doing the press-ups. And then I love the moment at number seven when Jake the Snake comes out and it feels like there's, you know, sort of a moment, even though the two of them have faced it off in the past, the crowd are like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. And what struck me is Jake the Snake is 42 at this point and he looked utterly horrendous. You know, I'm 40 now and I look back and I'm like, God, I hope I don't look like that in two years' time. <laughs> Jake actually looks in better shape there than he did in the '96 King of the Ring, which is yeah, yeah, and he, you know that that's that's right. We probably should give him credit that he has started to get his 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 life back in track there. But yeah, 42, and I liked the the Jake Stone Cold sort of pairing up, and even the elimination of Jake. You know, it doesn't last for long, but even you know that was actually quite a well done spot where Jake goes for the DDT and Stone Cold manages to backdrop him over the top rope. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very well done. We don't see a lot of it, though, because it's on the screen as number eight, the Bulldog, is coming out during yeah. that kind of a, a elimination moment. Uh, Chris, I feel like Bulldog comes out at eight, and then between eight and 21, I feel like <laughs> there's a lot of wasted entries at this point. We always we get the four triple A guys in there. Who... Let's just, let, hang on, let's put some... some some respect on to Piro, the AW AAA champion of champs. Yeah, he's in there. Uh, Mel Mascaras, who's a legend of the Mexican wrestling, who's um, sadly got a son who's a dick. Uh, <laughs> Cibernetico comes out at number 15, followed by the Latin Lover at 17. Oh, the Latin Lover, what name? These are not exactly who's who's, but it gives you an indication of like the depth of the roster at the time that we've got these four. You've got Bart Gunn, we've got the Sultan, and you've got all the wrestlers that were on the undercard all yeah. in this match. That was this is my thought. Um, the undercard of this show is essentially done to create the storyline moments of this rumble in the majority. Yeah. Because we get the Ahmed Nation stuff, we get the Goldust Triple H stuff going on, and then when Undertaker goes in, he goes for Vader. I mean, other than the, the Stone Cold spoiler Bret Hitman Hart stuff, yeah. we have set we have done an hour of wrestling to do the Rumble. Yeah, yeah. The, I think uh, there's a couple. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. I was just going to say that the not the wrestlers. As you said, between Bulldog at eight and Brett at twenty-one are are just such a low standard. We get Piro, as you mentioned, the Sultan, who is later Rikishi, Mel Mascaris, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Owen Hart, Goldust, Cybernetical, Mark Meadow, the Latin Lover, Farouk oh yeah, Farouk, Savio Vega, and not Road Dog Jesse James. I mean we yeah. got we got a brief listen to uh 
uh, Jeff Jarrett Road Dogs theme tune at the time. My baby, my baby tonight. My baby tonight, which is good. Um, and, and we get we get the spot that I mentioned earlier, which is Mel Mascaris, for some stupid reason, uh, manages to he quickly eliminate Cybernetico and Piro to then hit a crossbody from the top rope to the outside and tries to get back in the ring and the refs immediately jump on the apron and are like, no, nah, get out, you eliminated yourself. And do you know what? This could be forgiven had it not been for the fact that the trope of a battle royal, that's not a new thing. That's been yeah. about since, what, the late 70s, early 80s at least. Um, so they had them in Mexico. It's not like he didn't know what was going on. He's well, just an idiot. He's just actually, he was just being a dick. He didn't want to be eliminated by somebody, so they had to find a way for him because he would famously refuse to do jobs. So he oh, wanted right. to be, this was a way of him wait, being wait, eliminated no. without actually being eliminated. So he's just as much of a dick as his son. Yeah, exactly. Right, this explains a lot. I just thought he was stupid. Yeah, well, I can see why you would come to that conclusion. <laughs> In amongst these people, so just notable moments there. There were a couple of them. So we get Goldust's first Royal Rumble match. Owen Hart manages, I think, to... I think he's in for about nine minutes. I can't remember exactly. But he manages to stand out in amongst some nothingness there. And he teams up with Stone Cold to eliminate the British Bulldog. Yeah. uh, Utter shithousery by... uh, well, that was uh, that was that was Owen's trademark during this kind yeah. of period. He was a, such a shit house. <laughs> so just for people keeping store, so we've had Piro at number nine, Salton at ten, Mill Mascaris at eleven, Triple H followed by Owen Hart, Goldust, and fifteen is Cybernetico, Mark Marrow, Latin Lover, Farouk, uh, who also doesn't last long in the Rumble because Ahmed Johnson returns. And now, if we were doing a draft back then. David Campbell would have definitely picked Ahmed Johnson, the amount of times he appears. But he appears with, like, the biggest plank of wood. It's almost like a sheet of decking that he's got, (laughs) and he's chasing, and he smacks Farouk with it and eliminates Farouk from the match. (laughs) It's it's, um, something. Um, But just before that happened, there was a good face-up. Do you know how the Rumble sometimes gives you these weird combinations? You get Farouk and Stone Cold going at it, and the crowd pops for that particular combination. Mm-hmm. So that was, I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we get to number 21, and business does indeed pick up. Uh, Stone Cold's on the rig himself, he's on the turnbuckle as he'd been earlier, and then we get that iconic shot of his face when the Hitman's music hits, and he knows he's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> for this particular that- point. That moment will never cease to, it will never tire, will it? Stone Cold's been so cocky and confident. He's in, again now, in the ring, as you said. You know, we didn't have often in Rumble history like, have these sort of elimination sprees the way, you know, so Austin in this moment is quite unique. I think the last time I remember it was maybe the 1990s Rumble when Ted DiBiase was able to eliminate everybody as they came in. So, uh, and then you got Austin and Brett going at it, and what a great next sort of ninety seconds that follows with them, and it finishes up Stephen with uh, Brett's got Stone Cold in the sharpshooter when the buzzer goes for number twenty-two. 
Ah, yeah, um, we got a nice uh, look during this exchange of uh, Austin's tan line as his trunks slightly fall down. Yeah, <laughs> 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 um, uh, he, he was applying the fake stuff here. Uh, Chris, you're known for a stat. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You may or may not know it. Is Jerry Lawler's entry the first time a commentator's ever entered the Rumble? Oh, I don't know this. I assume it is, but was I he in in 1996? I don't think he, he was, was, but he wasn't, wasn't a commentator. Wasn't commentator yet? No. Yeah, because before that you would have had, unless you're talking. No, I don't think that someone like uh, what's his name off of uh, Predator. I don't think what who Jesse I, Ventura, no, Yeah, I don't think Jess, I don't match. think Jesse Ventura would have been in in like the the late eighties or anything yeah, like yeah. that. They obviously had guys who were commentators, but it wasn't like I mean, I think Randy Savage in '93 was doing com or he did coms after '93. I can't mind, but I think that's the first time someone got up from the desk. Yeah, has to be right, Stephen. And actually got in because we've obviously seen it so much. We had that one rumble where the three of them get up from the cops and I think they last a combination of a minute here but yeah that was uh, a bit of a waste well this this is a bit of a waste as well because Jerry Lawler nearly breaks the bushwhacker record at this point <laughs> well, he, he does that good bit in commentary where he, he says it takes a king to sit down ah uh, yeah he's he, he, up in Bret Hart doesn't he aye it's obviously it's a bit it, I think it's done as a bit of a throwback to their feud in the 90s yeah. but yeah he's one of several throwaway entries that lasts less than a minute in this particular rumble, along with Fake Razor, um, Jesse James, Savio Vega, and the other one who lasts is uh, Bart Gunn as well, and the other one who lasts less than a minute, Farouk. But obviously, as we've mentioned, his was done for storyline purposes. But with, had this moment with, with the, sorry, Chris. With Jerry, I think, had his elimination not been ever so slightly botched, he could have really been in the conversation for quickest ever. Because at this point, you had the Warlord on two seconds you, uh, from 1989. You had Mo from 1995 was on three seconds. And then it says here that Jerry Lawler and Bushwhacker Luke were both on four. But you see in the match that he's initially tried to get eliminated. He, fa- he falls back on his feet only to get eliminated again. And that could have shaved those vital two seconds off that could have gotten the record. Yeah, I think, I think the plan is for them to break the record. You can tell by the way they're, on, they're talking about it on comms, but yeah, it doesn't happen. When he sits back down, there's the funny moment where he puts his headset on and he says, to be a king! And and he's like all disorientated. Uh, and Vince McMahon says to him, your jacket's all twisted. <laughs> he's trying to his coat <laughs> on and he's like a bit out of it. And he mentions there, I should go I should go in there. And they, said to him, and they say to him, well, you've, you've just been there. Uh, but the rumble goes through this moment, doesn't it? Like Stone Cold came in, emptied the ring, and then sort of you know people came in, didn't last very long, and then it builds back up and then gets emptied for Bret Hart coming in, and then it starts to refill again after the, after the King's brief appearance there. Yeah, we get um, the other fake uh, outsider comes in. Uh, Terry Funk jumps the gun. What a great yep. but that is uh, pretty much sums up Terry Funk that he comes out very early. Uh, a Rumble debut for The Rock, or Rocky Maivia, as he's still known And we see The Rock and Bret Hart go at it. Yeah. That's, that's, which is class. That's quite that's quite nice. Something we didn't see yet much at all. Uh, Mankind also comes in. 
Uh, Flash Funk. Is, is he related to Terry Funk? Apparently not, as they say, tell us on commentary. <laughs> they're very open and tell us that they are not related. Uh, business picks up, Vader comes out. Uh, the man who's apparently both the muscle and the brains uh, of the Godwins. What a line that is. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> to be the brains of the Godwins. Not exactly uh, something. And The Undertaker comes out at 30. Now, Undertaker, for a, for a bit, it comes out at 30 quite a lot in his Rumble history. I think he's mm-hmm. been, he must be up there as one of the, the most number 30 appearances of all time. Obviously, he's yeah. the first guy to win from 30. But, yeah. He's, he's done out. it three three times, is it? He's done it. Yeah, he does it here. He does it in 2003. And he does it the year he wins it in 2007. Yeah. I don't think he was... Fi- he, no, he wasn't 30 in 2017. He was 20-something. He was the late 20s. But he wasn't yeah. 30. Uh, Roman Reigns is 30 that year, actually. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, this is the point, obviously, the ring's filling up and we're, they're, obviously we're leading to the end, so they kind of have to kind of position... I mean, this is one of my favourite parts of a rumble, where you kind of start to see, right, these are the guys that left, no one else is coming out, who's going to win it? And it's a pretty strong field at this point. You kind of think it could be a lot of people. I mean, when Undertaker comes out, they obviously say, one of the guys in this ring will, WrestleMa- will main event WrestleMania, which, even though the winner doesn't main event WrestleMania, is still technically true. They didn't lie to the audience. <laughs> Don't lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something. Uh, so, quickly before we get to the kind of final point, the two things I like to point, I'll point out. Uh, we got a couple of really sore and good eliminations. Uh, Flash Funk being eliminated by Vader. Yeah. Is a particularly sore one. And uh, Henry Godwin's in elimination by The Undertaker is pretty impressive looking. Henry Godwin sells it better than the referee did in the match earlier. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty good uh, but then we get to the famous closing stages of this uh, rumble where to use a football terminology where is VAR <laughs> at this point because obviously Stone Cold gets eliminated by Bret Hart you think he's out but the refs are too busy breaking up the fight on the other side between Mankind and Terry Funk Terry yeah. Funk played a part in a Royal Rumble finish. History is right. This uh, finish, I think, was one of the probably the best oh, Rumble finishes of all time. Certainly it was the best of the history, because I don't think we'd ever had a finish like this, if I remember right. Up until this point, it'd always be down to the, the two facing off. So as you said, yeah, Brett eliminates Austin. Fake Diesel gets eliminated by Brett. Brett thinks he's... Sorry, before that happens... Austin sneaks back in the ring. He double eliminates, doesn't he? Vader and the Undertaker. Brett throws out fake Diesel, so looks like Brett has won. And Austin sneaks up behind Brett and throws him over the top rope to win. And uh, nobody else has realised that Austin is out. The referees haven't realised that Austin's out. Allow it to happen. Austin's the winner. Brett, Brett goes crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then leads up, obviously this is the lead up to day two having their, their final match. I don't know if that was the plan at this point, because... I don't think it was, because the, of what I, was to follow. Yeah, because obviously the chat at this point was that Brett was going to get his rematch with Sean, and then Sean didn't want to do it, and that's where we get the 
lost my my old promo in the months after. It's probably it's a great rumble finish, but it's probably one of the most confusing lead ups to a WrestleMania main event of all time. Yeah, because we have, I mean, the one good thing it gave is it gave the pay-per-view in between Rumble and Mania, which usually is a bit of a, uh, uh, some meaning. So you had the Fatal 4 match that then followed in your house, Fatal 4, where they decreed because Austin didn't actually win the Rumble, it was going to be a match between Brett, Austin, Undertaker and Vader. The winner of that would become the number one contender. Sean surrenders the title. Brett, oops, spoiler alert, um, Brett wins that match, but then the title switches on another show beforehand. So the, the WWF Championship, which didn't usually happen at this time, gets a bit hot-shotted around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we end up with uh, uh, one of the fat guys that were in at the end winning it. Uh, if anybody's never watched WrestleMania 13, I'll try not to spoil it for you. <laughs> so yeah in terms of this rumble uh, we do love a bit of rumble stats and how the match went on well I do anyway so I'm going to give some aspects of it uh, 10 eliminations for Stone Cold in this rumble was a record until 2001 when it was broken by Kane uh, the record is currently held debatably in my opinion by Braun Strowman <laughs> I'm not counting that greatest Royal Rumble as a rumble the, the, in my opinion, the record is Roman Reigns at 12. Uh, Austin also lasts 45 minutes in this match, which is the most, uh, followed by Bret Hart with 21 minutes. Can any of you two gents tell me who lasted the third longest in this match? Ooh. Ooh, good question. Good oh, question. I, I think I know. Go for Put it. me down for Fake Diesel. I was going to say Fake Diesel too. Yeah, you're both right. It was, yes. fake, it was fake Diesel who lasted just under 18 minutes, uh, followed by Terry Funk at 15 minutes and The Rock on 13. Piro lasted the seventh longest in this match at just over 10 minutes. <laughs> Good on him. Wow. Uh, the champion of champions. <laughs> so, obviously, with 10 eliminations, Austin dominated the majority of who got knocked out. In fact... He was the only man in the match who got more than two eliminations. Uh, the other oh, people wow. who got two eliminations were Bret Hart, Mankind, Owen Hart, The Undertaker, Mel Mascaris, and Ahmed Johnson. Yeah. Mel Mascaris and Ahmed Johnson's eliminations do not include them eliminating themselves. So technically <laughs> they got three. They technically they got three, yeah. <laughs> but they did not include them, they did not include themselves in that particular one. Uh, several people in the match. One, two, I'm gonna. I, I'm not, I should have counted this before I came on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Seventeen wrestlers in the match eliminated no one, including Fake Diesel, Terry Funk, and The Rock, who were in there for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the '97 Rumble. Probably one many people remember is the Austin Rumble, even though he won three. So, yeah, you could class uh, many as the one. And he did. He technically, he pretty much won the 99 Rumble, even though Vince won it. But, yeah. One of the, uh, three stars I got from Dave Meltzer, so right middle of the ground on that particular one. And 
this probably would have been a good point to end this pay-per-view. But WWF decided, no, we're going to put the title match on last. Now, it's Shawn Michaels versus Psycho Sid for the WWF title. Now, in my opinion, as we mentioned, the Rumble should end the Rumble match, but I think given it was in San Antonio, I think they kind of wanted to do the hometown boy thing with this one, which is why they went with Sean here. Uh, but at the same time, it's, I mean, Chris, you mentioned the 96 Survivor Series where Shawn Michaels get booed out of the building for Psycho, against Psycho Sid, who get very cheered, and they've literally flipped this on its head. Yeah. yeah, the build for this, I thought, worked quite well. You had, at the very start of the show, we got, as uh, you guys said at the start, the start of the show did not really mention the WWF champion at all. It was all about Shawn Michaels going for the belt. They were talking about how um, losing to Sid was more significant to Shawn Michaels than beating Bret Hart at WrestleMania. That felt that felt big that they said that. Um, they, they were talking about how the boy has become a man and then the promo immediately before the match, it was just they really ramped up the intensity. Sean was saying, I can be the WWF champion again. This is something which can't be replaced doing the job. But it's kind of your version on the the Stone Cold thing from 2001, where he's like, um, I'll do anything to be WWF champion. The only thing I thought was weird is that they chucked in that Sean had the flu and it didn't really, yeah. it wasn't a factor in the match at all they just were like oh but sean's got the flu let's keep that in mind um unless it wasn't had the flu unless yeah can. exactly yeah like so the, when he was doing a promo i was thinking i was like this is far from a classic promo from sean I, I genuinely thought i wonder if he was a bit nervous going out in san antonio but then when he actually does come out for the match the arena does come unglued you got the amazing pyro Shawn Michaels' outfit is blinding, cowboy hat and all. Um, he does his sexy trover, trouser removal. Um, he actually, do you know what I noticed? He almost gets um, like two songs in because he's he, he like milks this entrance so much. He almost gets two lots of his entrance music in. It, it, it loops and it's almost going for a third loop. But yeah, um, I was really hyped for this match. I was actually on board on this occasion. Because the rumble was so bad, and because the title match looked so good on paper, that is, I was actually on board with it going on last. No, I, I never think it should go on last. <laughs> I, 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 I probably agree with you, Stephen, on this one. I think it should always be the rumble that closes it. Um, but with, I can understand why they did this match. I think just to say, to add to what you were saying there about Sean, I mean, this I think is the best run of Sid's career. That. Oh, yeah. moment he came back just before in your house international incident in the spring of 96 right through to rumble 97 i know he goes on to main event wrestlemania then but i think this is the best period of his career when he becomes you know the the man said psycho said i just i, I also loved since entrance music oh it's great yeah his, his whole presentation with the entrance is, is so good it's and yeah. the big, the big pyro above him as well. It's just, it's classic, you know. It's should have probably had a longer run at the top. I think, yeah, I deserve it. We get a couple of really good lines as well. Jr. calls him the most physically dominating WWF champion ever, and I'm like, that's a really good accolade at this point in time. Because who, who could yeah. you say was more physically dominating? Like maybe Stone Cold later. Like is, is Sid the most dominating 
WWF champion until Brock Lesnar. Like, I, I'd be happy yeah. giving him that accolade. Um, and I'll, physically, I would say he was physically dominating Austin. But yeah, I get what you're yeah. coming with. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I love... Before that would have been, like, you know, Hogan, um, Undertaker had it for a day, a, day, a couple of days, rather. Um, but yeah, I think Kevin Nash held it for a year. Yeah. But uh, it's a good, it's a good show, and yeah, I wouldn't dis, I wouldn't take umbrage with it in any way, shape, or form. What I loved as well is when Sid comes out, the crowd are still really cheering him. Obviously, yeah. as I disputed on the Survivor Series show in, for 1996, they supposedly turned him heel that night, uh, and I was at the end of the show, I was just like, is he heel? Because the crowd absolutely love him, and here we are two months later, or around about two months later, and the crowd still really love him. Um, he's coming out and he's doing his lines. He's saying, who's the man? He says, what's up, Alamo? Um, and like all the way through, the commentators are mentioning it. They say it's a partisan crowd. And, and there's one point where Vince even suggests that Sean is still the underdog. I don't know if they mean like physically or if they meant with the crowd, but the crowd are still mad for Sid. And um, uh, yeah, as you said, Stephen, the logo, I think, looks phenomenal. Uh, that is just with this and Diesel's like... X Factor pyro shower that he had around this time are both beautiful. Now you can debate as much as you want what side of the you know of the should this a main event or not. But in my opinion, if you're gonna main event after a rumble match, you need to work a certain type of match. And I think as good as the kind of period of entry, I mean, they did the thing where they see the two of them coming backstage as well, which I always think is a great touch. I loved when they did that, yeah. the attitude error all the time. But I think if you're going to... You need to work a certain type of match because the crowd are always... I don't know. You know, they're built up watching this rumble, you know. Enthusiasm's really high. And these two, I think, work a very slow-paced match for just under 14 minutes. Yeah. And I don't think that helps the feeling of should this have went on last there's a I think it starts it did start fast and, and then Sid dominated and beat Sean down and you get the spot in the middle of the match with the bear hug which goes on for ages and then follows by a chin chin hold uh, it then did follow a, a sort of hawk period which led to to towards the end of the match and um you know, you got Jose and Pete Lothario getting involved. Sean Lothario, he was he was never going to be an impact in this one. So, like no. he was going to beat Sid up. <laughs> no, and neither was Jose. And and you get Sh- uh, Sean being power bombed outside of the ring, which took him very little time to recover from. Yeah, that should have been that was kind of the yeah that was meant to be the lead to the kind of close, but mm-hmm. it's you you just kind of get that. I think the crowd are into it. Which yeah. I think if you're there live, it kind of helps. But see, when you're watching it on the telly, you're kind of like, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not quite feeling this one. I mean, Sid, Sid could work a decent pace match. We could work a decent match. I mean, the 96 Survivor Series match between the two same guys is a, is a pretty good match. But this one, I mean, Chris, I don't know if you agree with that opinion on that one or not. Yeah, I think these two work really well together. There's... 96 Survivor Series, as you mentioned, there's the this match. And then they also work a match together uh, for the WWF title on Raw. I can't remember when it was exactly, but Shawn Michaels wins with like, it's almost, I think it's like a double super kick or something like that. And, and we actually reviewed it 
for the Monday Night Rewind, rest in peace, um, go back and listen to that episode if you can find it. I think it was like, so it was just after Nitro started. So it would have been around that kind of 95, 96 time. No, maybe later, actually. I can't quite remember when Nitro started, but one of the episodes we did finished with Shawn Michaels versus Psycho Sid. And I think I think they work really well together because Sid is great at playing the big man and Shawn Michaels is great at being the underdog wrestler. He's done it for, you know, his whole career. I think, I remember, I think it might have been on OSW, they mentioned this, that the Rockers, like wrestlers loved being in the ring with the Rockers because they would bump like hell for them. And they would make all these bigger guys look amazing. Like, Sid's big man moveset is made better by the fact that he's fighting Shawn Michaels, who's, you know, significantly lighter and can move really well. Yeah. I said, the closing, I said, Gary, you mentioned the kind of, that closing stretch where the crowd are kind of, everybody's getting involved, the crowd feel it. But to me, I, I think the finish feels quite sudden. I don't know about me, because they kind of, he hits the super kick and it takes about ten minutes to cover him from the super kick, you know. Yeah. But, you do get the the ref bumps, so one ref goes down, choke slam, new ref comes in, does the count, doesn't last wrong. You get the camera spot coming in where Sean takes the camera off the cameraman and hits Sid with it in a sort of payback for what happened at Survivor Series. And then the sweet chin music that follows, and you get that classic Edward Hebner, I'm dead groggy from being knocked out. And he does the slow count with one, two, three, and then everybody goes mental. Yeah. I always associate the slow count for a heel winning. Because JR would always react, no, damn it, no. Not this way. Damn it, Dale. But when it's the good guy wearing it, it's kind of like, kick it out, kick it out. Oh, he's won. Uh-huh. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cool. like, it, it, do you know what really bugged me? Is I know that they were trying to reference Survivor Series 1996 with the finish. But Shawn Michaels really came across as the heel in this match. Yeah. Like, Sid hits the powerbomb on the floor. And as you mentioned... Sean is back in the ring in two seconds standing up because he just doesn't sell it at all. And if you listen to our 96 uh, Survivor Series episode, you will hear that I disputed Shawn Michaels' sell of the powerbomb that night as well because uh, Sid gets him up for the powerbomb to win the title. And it looks like Shawn Michaels like doesn't really help him out and he kind of uh, goes dead for the powerbomb. So this really, really bugged me. And then what bugged me the most was after the rep, ref bump, Sid hits a legitimate choke slam and has Shawn Michaels pinned, one, two, three. I was just like, Sid should still be the champion. This is bullshit. <laughs> well, Chris, you get your wish a couple of months later. Yeah, when, very when, true. When he, spoiler alert, wins the title back and heads into WrestleMania as champion during that whole convoluted point where Shawn but, Michaels vacates it. <laughs> but yeah, I've got I've got the same note as you. Like I thought that this match felt very quick. Like I've I've looked it up since and it and it was what just shy of fourteen minutes, but it felt very, very quick for a main event match. However, the the you know, the outcome was always gonna be the way it went down. Shawn Michaels winning in his hometown. Uh, but he did need two lots of interference and a ref bump to beat Sid. That was my only issue. Um can what did you guys make of 
Sean's lap of the ring that he did afterwards. I was like, this is good, but the look on Sean's face all the way through it, I just kept thinking he looked like he wasn't arsed about this at all. I don't think he was arsed, no. I think he was kind of... I think they played... Well, his, his, his mum and dad... Well, they, I don't know if they actually were his mum and dad, but I, I'll, I'll cut the benefit <laughs> they were his mum and dad. Uh, well, they are some... Maybe that, they had that aspect to it, but everything else... I mean, he was the, he was the notorious wee dick at this point as well. Mm-hmm. Backstage. He was just an, an absolute pain to deal with, according to what people say. So... And then obviously he does that. I lost my smile thing. After that, it's like, I mean, come on, Sean. You know? <laughs> See, if you took the Sean Michaels attitude now, then, with the hairline, you're great. <laughs> we obviously yeah. seen that when he had his comeback run. But, yeah, I, I don't know. They could have maybe gave this match the, the AAA six-man type. Yeah. yeah. Longer, you know. No, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it. Uncle Dave clearly wasn't feeling it either. He gave it two stars. Yeah. I think it's better than that. But not much. No, not by much. Not by much. But that uh, obviously closes out the 1997 Royal Rumble. Before we uh, go on to give um, our ratings for the show, is there anything else any of you guys want to add about the show? No, I think... Um, do you know what? The, the actual way that they did the Rumble match with Austin being eliminated and then coming back in, I thought that was quite a memorable spot of the night. Um, you, you know, I mean, ICW, of course, would redo this finish for, I think, the first or the second square goal. They did a similar sort of thing with, uh, I think, Grado and uh, Red Lightning. Radio eliminated Red Lightning only for Red Lightning to come back in and eliminate him. Can't remember which of the first two square goals it was. So it's quite an iconic first one. So it's quite an iconic moment um, in the Rumble. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a standout to me. I remember when we were talking about doing this show, I thought I've only ever seen the Rumble from this show. Mm-hmm. I remember that because I'm, I'm a massive Stone Cold fan, so it kind of stands out to me. But uh, yeah, other than that, I'm not too sure. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you on this one since you mentioned that one. What would you give this show on a, fa- on a five-star rating scale? So it's Ooh. a tough one. I think out of five stars, I'd probably give the whole event uh, 3.5. Oh, you <laughs> Well, yeah, that is probably quite generous because, do you know what? Like, if as you said, Stephen, if you look at the card here... You know, you've got Goldust, Triple H, two guys that will be in the WWF Hall of Fame at some point. You've got Vader, Undertaker. Um, you've got the uh, Nation, uh, the Nation's Farouk, obviously, against Ahmed Johnson. Like, on paper, this should have been so, so good, but the undercard sort of failed to deliver a little bit. The Royal Rumble match, I think, was really hindered by the fact that, as we mentioned, numbers 9 through to 21 were really, really light and also sort of rehashed the storylines that we'd already seen earlier on. I thought the title match was very, very good, if a little bit short, and obviously I was really gutted that Sid didn't win, although he does go into headline WrestleMania with Taker later on. Here's my thing, right? It bugged me that they padded out the Rumble with all these uh, AAA guys, and it got me thinking, did they need them? 
and this is what bugged me because I went and found, you know, on some random website, uh, it's solely s o l i e dot org. It has the WWF roster by month. So I looked up January 1997, and these are the guys that were supposedly under contract with the WWF at this time, but didn't get a look in on this show. Now I've got 17 names for you. And uh, this, you know, this takes out the fact I don't know who was injured and who was good to go. But just 17 names that they could have had in place of the wrestlers that were in the AAA tag match and in the Rumble. You could have had Barry Horowitz, Yokozuna, <laughs> Billy Gunn, Sparky Plug, the Portuguese Man of War, Aldo Montoya, uh, Leaf Casty, Marty Jannetty, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, the Time Bomb Brian Pillman, the Goon Bill Irwin, the World's Strongest Man Mark Henry, the Stalker Barry Windham, the Executioner Teddy Gordy, Phil LaFon and Doug Furness, of course, who had a great match at Survivor Series, and Mosh and Thrash. So it's not like any of those guys would be worse mm-hmm. than the guys that they had. And I would happily take those that group of wrestlers over all the AAA guys that they had in. It's interesting you say that because you've got the is it the four AAA wrestlers and you've got the six people that had done double duty earlier in the night. I'm going to I'm got, got to assume that there's maybe some of those guys that were unavailable through injuries or what have you, but not all of them. Not all of them. So you could have either used some of them on the undercard or put some of them in the match. I presume that WWE WWF thought that these. Uh, AAA wrestlers would have led to some local promotion, which may have helped ticket sales, but you've got to think WWF is a big enough sell. I think well. that if you look up some of the the matches that were aired on Superstars around this time, uh, on the 5th of January, you had uh, the Sultan wrestling with Bob Backlund and Matt Hardy. You had guys like The Goon on that card as well and Salvatore Sincere. You had guys like Dr. X, a.k.a. Tom Pritchard, wrestling uh, around then. The Executioner was wrestling around then. So it's like it's all guys that were wrestling and could have easily been in the match, but they just obviously chose to go to go with those other guys instead. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't really... I There's got to be some sort of reason. Uh, I'm, I'm worried now that my rating with my criticisms is still far too high and I'm eager to see your two thoughts on it. Well, we'll go with Gary then. Gary, what would you go with on this one? Oh, if I was scoring the undercard, I think I would give the undercard, you know, one and a half out of five as I think that was really disappointing. Uh, I would think I enjoyed the rumble. I mean, I enjoy most rumbles. Um and I thought this had a crack and finish to it, and it was one of the launch pads for Stone Cold, along with King in the Ring '96. So I probably would score the Rumble about four out of five, maybe tops. But when you put it all together, I think this is a maybe a three out of five show. You know, good Rumble, decent main event, undercard. Nah. I'm going to be quite critical here. I'm going to go with two overall on this particular one. I um, I, I like the Rumble. I mean, it's not one of my favourite Rumbles, but I like the aspects that are good are good. As Chris mentioned, there's a lot of light in there, which I hope 
I mean, with the 2023 Rumble coming up, I hope we get less of that kind of filler bit. But we'll, we'll find out. We'll see what goes on with that one. The time we've got. Um, but it's decent. The undercard is underwhelming. I think. Yeah. I know we have this. I don't like. I, I, I don't. I'm not fussed about the undercard on a Rumble show, but at the same time, yeah, you need a bit of. Especially at the point where you only have one Rumble, you can get away with a bit more with the two Rumbles because you've got more to kind of pad the show out. But for this, um, yeah, the AAA match is terrible. Well, it's, it's maybe not terrible, but it's not going to... Uh, everything else is a bit flat. Main event could be better. Yeah, I think if you... I think if you don't... See if you take, see if you take the Rumble out and have this as a normal card, this is one of the worst cards WWE could ever have done in their time. If this was a pay-per-view, the Rumble brings it up a bit. So, yeah, I'm going to be too... I may be harsh, but I'm going to on this particular one. So, does a two or three, and Chris went a 3.25. No, 3.5, so it probably averages out uh, just just about three, under three maybe, which is probably, that's probably fair enough. Just under three, which I think is probably a solid enough one. So it's slightly below average Royal Rumble, which I think the actual rumble itself helps bring it up but that's just our opinion if you are listening to this show and you have uh, wasted three hours of your life watching this pay-per-view uh, <laughs> or you've enjoyed the three hours who knows uh, please let us know uh, how what you thought of the 97 Royal Rumble uh, I'd probably say it's not the worst pay-per-view card this uh, podcast has reviewed <laughs> no, definitely not the rumble I think is worth Anybody that's not seen it is worth going back just for the, you know, you could fast forward it to number 20, you know, coming in and watch the Stone Cold Brett face off and then the finish. See Stone Cold's Cold's initial burst, I think before before Owen comes in or before before Bulldog comes in, is quite fun to watch. And the closing stretch is pretty, see from Brett onwards, that's decent. See if they did better with the middle here. It'd be right up there as one of the better best rumbles ever, but I think that middle bit lets it down a wee bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's far better than last year's <laughs> two rumbles. Oh yes, yes, that definitely. Last That's year, twenty twenty two rumbles got to go down as one of the biggest disappointments of all time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, as I say, please let us know. Uh, what you thought of this particular pay-per-view and if this is the first time you're listening to us as I mentioned before the show hit that subscribe button and please you can catch all our past and future content we've done some enjoyable feature shows so far in 2023 we've had our book it where we we, we rebooked a bad pay-per-view of December to December Uh, and last week's quiz showdown looked at the was it on Royal Rumble so please go back and listen to that uh, as we've got so much great content coming out over the year so please enjoy everything we put out and engage with us either in the comments on the podcast or on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram uh, I'd like to thank my panel for joining me on recording this on this lovely Saturday morning we were doing this uh, Chris, thank you very much Thank you, it's fun to go back to this era I, uh, as I said the, the last time we were out. I haven't watched many of these shows in this era. I thought Survivor Series was good. This was probably not quite as good, but it does set us up on a fun 
sort of run uh the in your house final four i've never seen that but now that i've seen the backstory i think i really do want to go away and watch it i've never seen sean michaels's lost smile era of wrestling uh, and i've seen wrestlemania 13 once but it was absolutely years and years and years ago it was pre-network as well so i'll definitely be going away uh and watching that it was uh yeah this was a fun period of wrestling to dive back into WrestleMania 13 is a quite short, snappy pay-per-view in terms of the card. doesn't drag much. So the, uh, That match I mentioned earlier on, the six-man that involves Ahmed and the Legion of Doom against the Nation, is a fun match. <laughs> I would recommend yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it's a sleeper match in wrestling. It's probably on the... See if you looked at the underrated matches in wrestling history. It's right in there. Uh, and to Gary. Gary, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Stephen. It's always fun to talk about Royal Rumbles. Mm-hmm. And we hope that the 2023 Royal Rumble is far superior to the 2022 edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been Steve Wilson. I hope you've enjoyed the show and we will see you next time. Cheerio, bye. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on the Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Seek Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now.